Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. Let's jump in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 78 of Black Tech Unplugged. I want to take a moment to thank everyone who voted for the South by Southwest panel idea myself and my friend Stephen and Aori proposed for South by Southwest 2024. We appreciate your support and help, and I'll keep you in the loop on what happens with that next. Furthermore, I want to send a huge thank you for everyone who listens to the podcast and shares it with their friends. I truly appreciate it. And if there's a certain topic you want covered on the podcast, drop me a note on social or via email at blacktechunplugged at gmail.com. Now, let's get into the guest for episode 78. On this episode, I'm joined by Rodney Williams, founder of Solo Funds. So, Solo Funds is a peer-to-peer lending platform that directly connects individuals with the community of lenders. So, in return, lending members may get returns on their small loan investments. The company positions itself as a solid payday loan alternative. Right now, Solo Funds is the largest community finance platform in the U.S. And since its inception in 2018, Solo has surpassed 1 million loans funded and redefined access to capital and returns for 1.5 million users. So this is big. And on this episode, Rodney and I talk about how we the people can use solo funds if we have an emergency or if we're looking to grow our wealth, we can become a lender on the platform. If this sounds like it's for you, you can find solo funds in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. And then if you don't have either of those, you can go to solofunds.com and all of this will be listed in the show notes. But make sure that you look into the platform and maybe join So let me tell you a little bit more about Rodney Williams as a person. So Rodney is the co-founder of Solo Funds, as I mentioned, but this is not his first time at the Founder Rodeo. So previously, Rodney funded Listener and led the company to over $40 in funding, numerous awards, and partnerships across retail and financial services. Rodney's career started at Procter & Gamble, which you'll hear him briefly mention during the episode, Since then, Rodney has been recognized with numerous awards, including at ages 40 under 40, Cannes Gold Line Award in 2015, and also CNBC Disruptor 50 list in 2015, 2016, 2018, 2019, and 2023. And that's just to name a few. Also, if you remember, Black Tech Unplugged partnered with Founding in Color, which is a series on Peacock. And Rodney was featured in that too. So make sure to go back and watch those episodes and grab some of the nuggets that he has. So as you can tell, Rodney is a big deal. And he has a lot of advice and tips for you around financials, gaining wealth. And also, if you have an emergency, obviously, he has a lot of knowledge on solo funds and how they can help you. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, make sure if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, to write a review for the podcast so that other people can find it. If you're on Spotify, take a moment and give the podcast five stars. And more importantly, make sure you share this with a person if you think they need to hear these gems as well. Now, let's get it. 
welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. Today, I am joined by Rodney Williams. So hi, Rodney. Happy to have you. I'm happy to be here. It's a pleasure to be here. You know what? I'm going to start by having you introduce yourself. Tell my listeners who Rodney Williams is. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Rodney Williams, co-founder and president here at Solo, former co-founder and CEO of Company Out Listener as well. Solo is a platform that allows people to lend and borrow from each other. Borrowers gain access to capital in an equitable way on their terms, where the only cost is a voluntary and optional tip and donation. And for the lending member, you decide who you want to make a lend to or make an impact, and you make tip for lending. Launched the company in 2018 and have quickly turned into the nation's largest consumer finance company that is Black-led or Black-founded. So I think that's a general summary of what we do. And kudos to you for all the achievements. And we're actually going to dig deeper into Solo Fund. So let's start with, we mentioned that there are lenders and borrowers. I want to just talk as a borrower to start. So what's the benefit of using Solo Funds as a borrower? I think the biggest benefit is gaining access to this capital but also gaining access to this capital on your terms when you need it. What we have identified is essentially everyday Americans, basically 60 to 80% of Americans, due to inconsistencies in cash flow and financial shocks, will need a few hundred dollars to make ends meet. Meaning that at some point in time, in a 12-month time period, their, their savings will be depleted. You know, This could be a car issue, a car accident, a medical emergency. And in those instances, they need quick and flexible access to capital. And when you think about that, the options that are that quick aren't that affordable and and very difficult to access. So for most consumers, that's going to a credit card, which can be extremely expensive or even worse, like a payday loan. And a lot of folks tend to sell things or they try to take on additional hours or they they try to do things, but they go for friends and family. So you're in this particular situation, solo is an incredibly easy and quick process where the average borrower is getting funded by another human in less than 10 minutes. And that's from request to fund in your wallet. And then the average cost that a borrower pays in addition to their principal over 12 months usage and time is only 13.4%. So the combination of quick and fast, but also cost being very, very minimum in comparison to alternatives That is the reason why you would use Solo. As you mentioned, I think everyone can agree that, especially in this economy, a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck, even though a lot of people won't admit that. So we're all one emergency away from having to use that savings or even lose that savings if something were to happen. So I definitely see how that would be useful. But let's go to the flip side. So as a lender, what is the benefit of using Solo? As a lender, I think the everyday American also wants to grow the money that they do have. So imagine you do have savings and maybe you did a bunch of crypto and Bitcoin and it didn't really pan out. Maybe you tried GameStop and Robinhood, you know, a few years ago and that didn't pan out. The point is, is that everyday Americans don't even have access to ways to grow the capital they do have. So to be transparent, that's a luxury that's reserved for people of certain net worth, right? Basically, if you have a certain net worth, Goldman Sachs, and these larger investment banks call on you and offer you products that get you 15, 20% yield. So how can you create yield? You don't really have an option. Solo is an option. Our lenders on average make over 20% annually. 
that is how you change a community. You not only have to provide ways to gain capital, but also you have to provide a way for that capital to grow. And that's what we do. So as a lender, come into our platform. Anyone can be a lender. You can lend as little as $20. I wouldn't suggest only lending $20. I would suggest you lending more so you can create a balanced portfolio. But it is an investment. There's a risk and a reward. It's pretty simple. The average lender takes about two or three weeks to get the hang of things. And we have a bunch of resources that are available. I would suggest all new lenders to opt into our solo gold platform. It's basically a community of our, our best and bright lenders where you can learn from them and, and ultimately become a good lender. Good to know. And also you talk about there's risk with doing this, right? Because there's a risk in doing anything if you really think about it. So what are some of the risks that come to mind? It's a simple risk. It's the risk of every investment. You could lose your money. And, and to be very clear, I know there's a solo score base. So there's a solo score that basically provides a risk measure for each borrower. As you can imagine, the lower the score, the higher the tip, the higher the score, the lower the tip. But you, that's a balance. I think it's got to be clear to understand that the, the lower the score, the more risk that you're taking. I think that's a super important. You know, There's no investment that is a guarantee. I think the additional aspects is that we do have a safety net. And we call it lender protection. So for an additional fee as a lender, you can opt into this lender protection. And in the event that you're not paid back in your schedule or payment date, Solo will step in and credit you a portion of what you would have made. It's a safety net. It's really designed for you to have a safety net as you design your strategy and you create the ways in which you want to lend. So essentially, how you want to think about it, I would suggest any lender, as you think about lending or any investment option, this has nothing to do with Solo. If I was on Robinhood, it's really about creating a stable portfolio. A stable portfolio is to take some risk and don't take some other risk, right? right? And you balance that out with the risk and reward. And that's what we're ultimately asking our lenders to do. Let's provide the audience with an example. So let's say something happens and you know I need to pay a bill. I just need $100 to get by and pay this bill and I will be good. What are the steps that they would take via solo in order to get that investment, you know, the $100. Yeah. So, you know, they would sign up, provide the verification. So they would need to connect their external bank account. They would need to add their photo ID, and then they would need to add a debit card. And those, all three of those things would need to be verified. That usually takes a few minutes. Once that's complete, a borrower can make a request up to $100 initially. When you make your request, you set how much you need, when you're going to pay it back, and what you're going to pay. So you actually set what you're going to pay. That is in the form of a donation that goes to the platform. You can select zero if you want, as well as a tip. You can also select zero if you would like. And then you post that to a marketplace. Now, depending on your score, I would tell you, please connect your primary bank account. And the more activity that we can see with your external bank account, the better your solo score will be. And long story short, you make a request. And in most instances, you're, you're fun, you know, within the first 30 minutes. If you put that in perspective, you literally could be on the side of the road with a flat tire, care about solo, sign up and make a request and get funded prior to or before the tow truck driver would arrive to fix your car. That's solo. Wow. And I think a lot of people can appreciate it. I think everyone's been in a situation where you just need that instant assistance. So this sounds like product that will be very helpful for some. One question that comes to mind, especially because we're talking about really wealth disparity and even building wealth through the use of solo, 
what if someone doesn't have a bank account or a debit card? Because people that look like us, there's some instances where that happens, right? Is there any thought for in the future how you'll address that? Yeah, I mean, there's a thought, but I will say from the data perspective, that is a shrinking population. It's in the single digits even today. And the majority of them tend to be illegal residents. And just to be very clear, that's what the data says. The data says the average American with a smartphone has a digital bank, has connected to Apple Pay or connected to Google Pay, right? You know, they're leveraging Cash App, leveraging Venmo. I think we're past the stage that break that used to be present, I think, a couple mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, they, you know, as an American in society today, you do have access to an account. It may not have a lot of activity, but you do have access to an account. I had to ask the question, just in case it might be that 1% or 0.1% that's listening to the podcast. So, and you know, I think this is a wonderful concept and I want to know what motivated you to even create Solo? It was was motivation that was designed from personal experiences that my co-founder and I experienced. I think we experienced our friends and family needing access to short-term capital, especially as we kind of became the individuals within our you know, community that did pretty well. We just saw a greater demand for short-term capital. I would also say that I think we both independently had experiences as kids where, you know, our parents, in my instance, you know, needed access to capital and would find themselves short and not have many resources. And then also very distinct memories of being taken advantage of. With that said, I think my co-founder, Travis, he had a different memory, but he had a memory his father working at General Motors for, for nearly for 35 years had accumulated pretty substantial savings, but the bank wasn't offering him significant ways for those savings to grow. And that his savings never really got invested, right? Therefore, that savings never grew. Right. And you got to understand both of those problems plague communities that were from. So there's too many thoughts on just one part of it. You kind of got to create a solution that fixes both aspects of it. I totally agree with you. And I think that Solo's doing that. But let's even look at holistic picture, right? You're doing something that's never been done before. And especially at the scale that you're doing what you're doing. So let's elaborate on that statement a little bit. So basically, I want to just give you your flowers right now because you've been doing some amazing work. But also, I want to hear from your perspective. As you started in 2018, It's now 2023. What do you feel that Solo has accomplished thus far? I think what we have done is, and the most important thing that we've done is that we distributed nearly a half a billion dollars of capital into underserved communities. And in the same vein, we have allowed that same community to earn well over $20 million in capital Mm -hmm. that is returned, that is capital that's being returned back into those communities. So for us, that's the impact that matters the most. We are helping consumers and we're providing real banking solutions for real people. You got to understand when you think about Bank of America, or you think about larger companies, Goldman Sachs, they don't build products for people who don't have money. They don't build products for underserved communities. Mm -hmm. That's just not their design. So we are an example of a financial service company that's building products that serve the average person and really provides consumers with what they need in emergencies, but also what they need when it's time to grow. So 
that's the impact that I care about and we care about. I think as we look at what's next and you know, our next milestone that I think we're going to be pretty excited about is putting a billion dollars back into the community. And I think for us to do so, not only are we going to have to continue to do what we're doing better than we've done it, but we're going to also have to go global. And those are the things that I think that excites us as we look at the next 12 months. Can imagine going global is very exciting, but also kind of daunting, right? Because it's different regulatory rules, right? There's different things that you have to take into consideration. How soon do you think you'll go international? I know you mentioned in the next 12 months, but do you have a, a particular area that you think you'll go first when you go international? Yeah, I mean, our goal is to launch our first international market by December, and, and we, we're working towards Nigeria as that first market. Why Nigeria? I think for many reasons, but Nigeria is the number one, the wealthiest and highest GDP producing black dominant country in the world. It's also over a billion consumers, meaning it's from a makeup standpoint, it's much closer to India and its middle class and its growing class is larger than the United States. So number one, from a pure economic reason, it is an incredible market and had to have produced probably 10 black unicorns, fintech specifically meaning mm-hmm. financial service unicorns, they have more Black financial service unicorns in the United States. And I think you got to, I think this is just knowledge that may not be aware to everyone, their financial infrastructure, at least their digital financial infrastructure is still relatively new, which has certain advantages, meaning it doesn't have all of the predatory, it doesn't have all of the years and years and years of dominant from the traditional players. So it's a market that's ripe for opportunity. I think that's some of the macroeconomic reasons. I think when you think about what we do, we're, we're basically community finance. Since the beginning of history, community finance has been developed and used in communities around and around Africa and around the world prior to the formal banking system. And what I mean by that, they used to call them informal savings clubs, church clubs, you name it. But these are pools of money that the community would pull together for people in need. This is essentially the evolution of that. And so when you think about that aspect and the the other aspect within a community like Nigeria, they have kind of the same problem. Their system isn't giving yield to the vast majority of their population and their population doesn't have access to equitable capital when they need it. And we want to be there. And I also think it's super important also to enter markets where you have regulatory freedom and you have regulatory acceptance. Um, So I think those are some of the other aspects. And like you mentioned, Africa is an untapped market. There's a point I f- there was a conversations around Africa and, you know, tech and being up and coming. And then it kind of fizzled out maybe around the pandemic. But I'm glad that you set your sights and that's where you're going to go internationally. And you mentioned that from a Nigerian perspective, there's a couple fintechs that were up and coming. Yeah, there's a, a ton of uh, fintechs that are unicorns there now. I mean, companies like Flutterwave that are now worth $7 billion to companies like Cuda and companies like Shipper Cash and PiggyVest. I mean, these are all billion-dollar companies. Paystack was purchased by PayPal about two years ago. And then there's companies like Mono and Accra that are the plaids of Nigeria. So, I mean, you got a lot of activity there as it relates to fintechs and unicorns. And that's just to name a few. Again, even that list that I just mentioned mm-hmm. is more than the United States. You know, we're the largest Black-led fintech in the United States history. We have only a million users. 
the largest Black-led fintech in Nigeria probably has nearly 100 million users, right? So like, you got to put yourself in that perspective. I feel like that gives you a little motivation or a push, right? Because you see all these amazing things that are happening over there. Why can't that happen here? I, I think number one, right? It's motivation to make an impact. And I think that's our goal. I think the only thing that we think about as relates to the companies that are being successful and in those types of markets, it's just more evidence that no, we need to be in that market. Mm. Right? Yes. Right. Um yes. That, that that's what I say. It's not about this market. The United States is the hardest financial system in the world. It's the oh, most complicated, the one that has the most issues and challenges and discriminatory practices. It is a complicated and expensive industry to be in. We have perfected our model in the United States in the hardest market to do so. So you got to understand when innovation is successful, when Uber was successful in the United States, it was, it was successful everywhere else in the world. And you can go on and on and on in Airbnb and to Apple, right? You know, the fact that we were successful and are successful in the United States, I would tell you that that gives us a lot of confidence to be successful in other markets. And actually, I want to turn more so towards the founder side, because I'm sure as you were going through this innovation, as you were changing the original plan that you had, you've probably gone through ups and downs and being a founder is not as easy as everybody makes it out to be. So I want to start with from the perspective of, so you had this idea in 2018, how did you take your product from idea to launch? I mean, we launched in 2018. The idea was born in 2015. Okay. So it took us three years to do that. You know, and I think it was a combination of when we could and when we were ready to go full time. You, you always have, you know, conflicting priorities. And that was part of the challenges that we had to kind of go through to get this thing done. But, you know, it, it was part of the process. You know, one of the things that I will always say, if it is a real product, meaning if it's like a, if it has real market demand and you have conviction, that conviction will grow in your heart. And, and eventually you're going to have to get it done. And that's a big part of what we saw and what we were experiencing. You know, me and Chavez both had successful careers. We were frustrated with the financial market. We were frustrated with the products that we were seeing. We were frustrated with the people that were trying to create products to serve our community. And the fact that we just knew more. We knew that that product wasn't going to work. And we felt like, you know what? We may be the only people in the world that know how to, to bring to market exactly what's going to work. And I think some of that conviction is what ultimately got us here. Was there ever like an aha moment when you were going through that process of like, yo, we are the only ones who know how to do this? Was it a specific moment where you're like, okay, let me put all this stuff to the side and actually do this? Or was it just something that motivation just gradually grew over time? No, I mean, I think, you know, there was different points in the business that, that kind of signaled product market fit. And at different times, I, I would tell you when we saw the demand outsize and outpace our efforts, meaning the organic traffic towards what we were doing from both borrowers and lenders, we knew that was special. When we saw our ability to manage risk, meaning traditional players within this industry have a default rate four to five times higher than our default rate. So when we saw our ability to manage risk at a relatively young position in the company, again, that kind of gave us kudos. We knew we were on something special. And I think the third thing is when we we basically in 2020, our lenders actually started to make a positive return. And it was on average, they were making a positive return. And we basically quietly started to outperform essentially every other investment option. 
in the market and continue to do so. Those are the things that we we started to realize we were best in the world at this. And because no one had acquisition costs like ours, no one had net limit to return like ours, no one had engagement like ours. And these were the secrets that would make this company work. So within your founder journey, I'm sure you've learned a lot of lessons. And I'm wondering if today you could share maybe three of the greatest lessons that you've learned while building solo. I think the number one lesson is always be you got to be able to learn and you got to continue to learn and you got to continue to grow. That is the most important aspect. I think everything else can be almost be thrown out the window. I think that the number two thing is that persistence and resilience is important. And I'm going to combine that persistence, resilience with mental resilience and persistence so that people understand the importance of maintaining a certain level of mental healthiness. Because I think the amount of negativity that you may experience, the lack of resources that you may experience to the lack of understanding. I mean, there's so much lacks of that is present when you are a founder and then high, you know, when you're an African-American founder. So that's important. And then I think the third piece would be continue to surround yourself with people you can grow from. That's super important, especially if they're founders. Stop spending time with executives at companies and you know, all of the other people that may be bright. No, I said specifically founders. They don't need to be in your industry. They don't need to, to be even related to what you're doing. They just need to be have successfully started a company from the thoughts in their brain. That takes a certain type of effort. And, you know, when you are a founder, you tend to think you're alone. And I think the moment you get to remove that loneliness feeling, and start to understand the similarities between you and other founders and what they have learned and how they're managing everything. I just think that's important. Okay. And you were in Founding in Color in the last season. So if anyone wants to hear any more founder tips or anything, they can also go back and watch that because that's still available. (laughs) It sure is. (laughs) (laughs) And also, so to wrap up, I just have some final questions. So I want to start with You're in fintech. You've learned a lot. Like you said, you have a lot of knowledge now. And as we know, people who look like us might not have all of the keys that it takes in order to grow their wealth and keep their investments going. So from that standpoint, what are some key things that you think people who are listening would find helpful? I think key things is the money you do have, you need to figure out how to grow it. You don't need an aggressive strategy. It could be 1% to 10%, but you just got to understand if inflation is 5% or whatever inflation rate may be, if your money isn't growing more than that on a yearly basis, you're technically losing money. So try your best not to lose the money that you do have. So you need to invest in things. You need to buy homes. You need to, you got to understand buying a home is an investment. It is an investment. It's always been an investment. And taking that money and putting it and investing it into safe options is what you should be thinking about. When you find yourself in a crunch, and this could be various reasons, it could be self-inflicted. You know, so many pay, people who live paycheck to paycheck, it's a direct result of a choice that they made. You, you could have went to school to be a graphic designer, but then, you know, you decided that you want to be a yoga instructor. And that's okay. That, that means that it requires a different budget and a different lifestyle. And that may be a lifestyle that may be tighter. And that's okay. But that means you need to get that budget in order. And during those time periods, try to limit your usage of options like solo. Because our goal as people is to try to create a consistent budget and a consistent lifestyle so that you can bear the disruption of an emergency. 
I think the third thing as it relates to wealth is that I think it's important to support each other. That's a direct result of the capital that you make. It should help someone else in their entity, their thing that they do, right? So if you have friends or family that provide things that you need, you should buy it from them. You should leverage their services. And I think that's super important. I think wealth creation starts with a community and it starts with your own community, starts with yourself. And if you're not doing it amongst your friends and family, I don't think it can ever be done. And that's honestly a word. It starts with you and it starts with yourself. And I want to touch on the community piece because you've mentioned it a couple of times. We have gotten so into the individualistic mindset in society. And it's nice when I hear that things are coming back to the community side because you honestly need a community to survive. That's how people were surviving, especially back in times where we didn't have this wealth when we were trying to grow. So I just want to definitely highlight that piece and say that community is important. So make sure you find your tribe. And, you know, we've talked about the positive aspects of being a founder, but I do want to take a moment to go through the hard parts. So what's one of the hardest moments that you've had while building solo? I mean, to be quite honest, I think there's nothing easy about it. I tell people all the time, (laughs) you know, I used to work at Procter & Gamble. I think my tenure and experience level, I can go off and be an incredible executive at a company and it would be very, very easy in comparison. And, And that's my reality. So when you choose to be a founder and you choose to make impact, you choose to make personal sacrifices. And the toughest thing that I tend to have to deal with are the sacrifices personally, like, you know, the sacrifices that you may have to endure at the personal level, at the relationship level, at the family level, they're hardcore sacrifices. That's the type of stuff that hurts the most. I think solo being the first and largest of its kind in the United States, I think in, in my normal fashion, I'm embarking on new territory and experiencing what I would call challenging scrutiny from a financial system that wasn't necessarily built to support ideas like myself or ideas like Solo. And that challenge is, is a new type of challenge. <laughs> and it's one that we're addressing and we're dealing with on a daily basis. Um, and, 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 but again, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's on a laundry list of challenges that will continue to be here. And we'll probably be here for the rest of time period. And I don't think we're stopping with this particular product. I think this is part of trying to make a difference. And even within this process, like you mentioned, there's everything is a challenge, but I do want to call out particularly, especially because you mentioned that the U.S. is one of the hardest countries, especially from a financial regulatory perspective, that you have had to go to court for some things because that's just part of the process. So I want to just talk through your experience there. Maybe we'll just use, for example, when you had the lawsuit in May with the District of Columbia, what happened and how you had to get past that? Yeah. So I think, number one, we didn't have to go to court. But what happens in financial services is that, number one, there's a lot of financial services that are regulated and monitored at a state level. So there's no like federal regulation per se. There's a lot more control at the state level. And as I kind of mentioned this before, our community finance model doesn't have a legal requirement in the United States yet, meaning no one has like designed a license for peer-to-peer lending or peer-to-peer models or community finance models. And to be very clear, there's many jurisdictions around the globe that have the UK, India, Latin America, and, and Africa. So for some reason, 
the United States hasn't, but that's a separate point. So without any kind of clear rules and, and, and ways in which a company like myself should operate, it opens up scrutiny at the state levels for what we do. And that scrutiny came in the form of what became public. We had public orders from Connecticut, California, and the District of Columbia. And what everyone saw from a public standpoint was the resolutions of those orders. And I think, number one, to be very clear, what happened, the equivalent of what happened is your company or your thing just is like to get indicted or get completely investigated. And then post the investigation, they said, well, we looked at everything. We looked at every email. We looked at every money movement. We looked at everything. And we don't like some things that you do, but not enough to turn you off. Mm. You can continue to operate, but you got to make these adjustments. Mm. So I, I hope every permanent listening understands what that is and how hard that is to get. Most people that get investigated don't get a clear pathway forward. Right. Most people that get investigated get shut down or they get countersued. That's also what didn't happen. And I think it's a testament for a lot of things. It's, what it is a testament, to be completely transparent, it's a testament to the fact of how intentional we built our product. And despite clear rules and ways in which to operate, we created our own rules that were fair, transparent, honest, and we will make those updates. And we're looking forward to being back on. You know, some people are like, oh my God, are you concerned with your brand and your image in our brand? Well, I'm going to tell you this. None of our consumers care. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so like the people that we serve, they get taken advantage of by every other financial service company in the world. They're Wells Fargo users, they're Bank of America users, they're Chase users, and they pay millions and millions and billions of dollars in fines for doing things that they're not supposed to do. And they have clear rules and ways in which to operate. So when a, when a user who enjoys solo sees the headline, they're in just the same disbelief as we are. They're like, that's not the company. I mean, I know clearly what I paid because I selected it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, there's no if and there's no misconception. You know, so I just think this doesn't hurt our brand. If anything, to be honest, we love it. We like it. We're going to be the leaders here. We're going to be the ones that take this on the chin. These are scar wounds. These are scratches in our armor because our armor isn't precedence or the fact that we went to certain schools or we look a certain way. Our armor is in the consumers that we serve and how well we serve them. Yep. And you know what? Talking about your consumers, is there any success story from your platform that sticks out in your mind? So literally a million people, more than a million people, we've made an impact. I will tell you, though, probably two stories that I think resonate with me. It was someone who needed a loan to take a COVID test so that they can successfully start working. And that's the simplest way I can describe, you know, someone who's capable, who got the job, but is required to pay something to get the job. Mm-hmm. And this is someone who doesn't have it, right? And you don't think about that, but we do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something that I keep in mind. There's always someone that just is like $100 away. 
from, from, from fixing the issue. I think the other aspect is in the midst of the South, when a lot of challenges around abortion came about, you saw quests to the marketplace as a result to them needing options. No one's talking about that, but we did. We saw it. This is the company that's in touch on a day-to-day basis with what's going on, completely in touch. And that's why there's thousands of stories. There's not millions of stories that we will have of being there when they need them. So those are just some of you. Well, I'm excited to hear more of the stories. And you know what? I'm sure people listening might need the opportunity to you solo. So where, if someone's listening to this episode, where can they get access to solos in an app website? Let's tell people where to go. Please go to the app store or the Google play store, download solo funds, start an account, become a lender or become a borrower. If you don't have Apple or iOS and you just have a computer at home, you can visit solofunds.com and you can use our website to make a request or fund a loan. And if you are unsure, just go follow us on Instagram and support the mission and just support the community. That support can just be that. Those are some of the things that I think in ways in which I hope guys can be helpful and I've become users. Excellent. And I will have all that information in the show notes. So no one has to go searching for it. Let's support the community, build the community up even more and help solo funds out. And Rodney, I usually leave the last portion if the person who is being featured on the podcast has any other tips, advice, or just anything to share with the listeners, I give them the floor. So now it's your turn. Follow me. I have indirectly turned into the advocate of this thing that we're building. And we're going to need all the support and all of the, like, we need to be everywhere. See, when you watch the news and other people are talking about our community, make sure that they, they reach out to Solo. You know what I mean? When people are quoting statistics, trust me, we got better statistics. We do have thought leaders and leaders that are trying to address. And we're not the fancy guys in the suits. We're just like you. You know what I mean? We live down the street from payday lenders too. And that's my message. We'll be your voice when you don't have one. Thank you for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the show on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It will help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.